Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 23. And this is the burden of Tyre. And actually, it represents the Phoenicians. As we said just a minute ago, it's represented by other cities. By this city, Tyre. And we find that this is the last chapter that deals with all the judgments upon these various nations that we were speaking of. And then chapter 24 begins another section of the book of Isaiah. And chapter 24 through 27 form a definite division. And we'll get into that in our next in our comments if we get that far to bring you a kind of an introduction to that. But it says, The burden of Tyre, howl ye ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in. From the land of Echidim it is revealed to them. Her mariners were explorers and merchants of the world. And the Venetians were a merchant people whose land approximated what is today known as Lebanon. We're talking about Lebanon in the modern day language. And their ships plied the Mediterranean coast where their many colonies assured them of an abundant supply of the world's wealth, which they sought after, by the way. And Tyre and Sidon were key cities. If you remember, Jesus speaks of both Tyre and Sidon. Tyre was one of the most famous cities of the ancient world and was known for its uh, mariners. And it may symbolize the international trade and commerce whose leaders do not seek to uh, serve God or humanity, but seek only their selfish accumulation of wealth, and that's exactly what they did. These were key cities, and both David and Solomon made use of Tyre and Sidon and made use of the workers and building materials from Phoenicia, we have that in a certain passage of Scripture in Second Samuel and First Kings. I'm not going to bore you with trying to look up references because if you want references after it's over, I can give you references to most of the things that I say. But to simplify, because sometimes reference, reference gets people confused. And King Ahab, by the way, married the Phoenician princess Jezebel who promoted Baal worship in Israel. And you find the record of that in 1 Kings chapter 16, and I can give you the verses. But there are three things about this chapter. There's a declaration in verses 1 through 7, and an explanation in verses 8 through 14, and anticipation in verses 15 through 18. Declaration, explanation, and anticipation. You'll find all these three things are mentioned. So verses 1 through 7, Isaiah addressed ships from Spain or Tarshish that were docked at Cyprus, Kittim. We read about Kittim. Uh, and it's Chittim here. And telling their crews to weep and go home because Tyre was no more. In verse 6, he says, How ye uh, pass ye over Tarshish, how ye inhabitants of the isle. And he tells about the things that happened to uh, Tyre and Sidon and about the fact that their merchants from Spain, the coastlands, and even Egypt would wail because of Tyre's great shipping industry would be gone 
and the Mediterranean economy would be devastated. And this also applies future to uh, a devastation that we find in Revelation 17 and 18, you might say for a parallel of uh, both Babylon and Tyre compared to there to prostitutes. And uh, the joyful citizens of Tyre would become uh, mourning, mourning refugees when Nebuchadnezzar would conquer Phoenicia in 572 B.C. And he did not conquer the isle or the island part of Tyre, but Alexander the Great would do it in 332 B.C. And they have references in Ezekiel and Isaiah that show you these things. The declaration of what would happen. Let's look at, back at the verses again. And those are verses 1 through 7 that I've read a general explanation of. It says in verse 1, The burden of Tyre, how ye ships of Tarsus, for it is laid waste, so that there is no house, no entering in, from the land of Chittim, it is revealed, uh, it is revealed to them. Be still, ye inhabitants of the isle, thou whom the merchants of Sidon are Sidon. This is another important port city that pass over the sea have replenished. And by the great waters, the seed of Sihor, the harvest of the river, is her revenue. And she is the mart of nations. Be thou ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, even the strength of the sea, saying, I travail not, nor bring forth children, neither do I nourish up young men, nor bring up virgins. As at the report concerning Egypt, so shall they be sorely pained at the report of Tyre. Pass ye over Tarshish, howl, ye inhabitants of the isle. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? Her own feet shall carry her far off to sojourn. In other words, the captivity. Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traffic are the honorable of the earth. And who is it it's asked of? Who has taken this counsel? And of course we know it's the Lord Almighty. Verse 9 says, The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain, uh, to stain the pride of all uh, glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. The pride of Tyre was the sin that God uh, could not ignore. And you know, when people get, it's not only true of Tyre that the judgment came because of pride, but it's true because of anyone that has is lifted up with pride. The Bible says, we can say a lot about pride, but notice this ninth verse. The Lord of her host has purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring her into contempt all the honorable of the earth. You see, God cannot pass over that, that sin of pride. They were getting their own wealth. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to ignore God. They, wanted, they were lifted up with pride. They were seeking for their own uh, uh, benefit and uh, prosperity. And they tried to get everything that would bring them wealth. And it was a selfish accumulation of wealth. I wonder if we don't have some of the same conditions in many of the, in many realms today. Pride and gaining of wealth, accumulation of wealth, all at the expense of what? Other people, of whoever that they can get it from. And the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction, and the haughty spirit before fall. 
There's a whole lot of things that are about pride. I think I have, let me see if I can find some notes I have in the back of my Bible. Um, Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. See, with the lowly is wisdom. Let's never get to think ourselves too much. Because most of the time we're not anyway. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Again, you know the opposite side of pride is wisdom. Notice both those verses said wisdom. And by the way, it says, Only by pride cometh contention. In Luke 18, verses 11 and 12, Jesus uh, speaks of one that says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Remember the old proud Pharisee? And he's telling God what all he did. I, you don't have to tell God what you do. He knows what you do. But the other, the old, the other one, publican, would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's a difference, isn't there? The difference in the attitude. And then 1 Timothy 3.6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And that's warning against a, a novice of any kind, especially a novice in the ministry. Sometimes young preachers, and it's true, and we are warned against it, and that's why Paul told Timothy, become uh, lifted up with pride. We we think we know it before we do. <laughs> we find out we didn't know so much after all. In fact, after all these years that I've been preaching, I surrendered preaching in 1952, I find out I'm just now beginning to learn a little bit. I don't know. I do not know. And I'm asking God to give me wisdom and asking God to give me understanding and open my eyes to see some things in the Word. And Esther 7.10 says, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Sometimes your pride will do you in. You can read Daniel 5.18-21. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says this, And high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 28.25 says, He that is a proud of heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. In other words, be blessed and prosper. Romans 2.19 says, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. That's pride. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art, thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You see, we and he says, I counsel thee. The next verse, I believe, says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And this kind of spiritual anointing of the eyes, though it was taken from a literal anointing of the eyes, was salved so that if you had an eye problem. But this was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we might see spiritual things. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. There are many, many other scriptures. I'll give, give you one more, and then we'll turn back to our, our passage of Scripture. Psalm 131, verse 1 says, Lord, my heart is not haunted, nor mine eyes lofty. 
Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. If we can learn our limitations. Now, God is, uh, has not limited us, and he is not limited himself. But when we say that we will not, what? I will, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. We ought to recognize that some things belong to God. And if he gives us the ability to increase and to uh, reach into greater heights, that's of God. But when we think we can do it of ourselves, it's not. Psalm 105, I said I wouldn't read another one, but here's one. Psalm 101, verse 5 says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Uh, him that hath an high look and a proud heart will, will, I, will not I suffer. So we have to keep ourselves thinking in the, in the right way. And Tyre was that kind of a place. Now then, in verse 9, back in our passage in Isaiah 23, verse 9, it says, The Lord of hosts hath purposed it. The Lord of hosts. Just as he had purposed to what happened to Egypt, and just as he had purposed other things, he purposed this concerning Tyre. Now then, verse 10, we'll read on down to verse 14. It says, Pass through thy land as a river, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more strength. He stretched out his hand over the sea. He shook the kingdoms. The Lord hath given a commandment against the merchant city to destroy the strongholds thereof. By the way, when God gives his uh, purpose against a city or a nation or a people or an individual, it's going to come to pass. And he said, Thou shalt no more rejoice, O thou oppressed virgin, daughter of Sidon. Arise, pass over to Chittim. There also shalt thou have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. By the way, the land of the Chaldeans, the Lord would punish Tyre through the Chaldeans. And Chaldeans were the Babylonians, who did raz all but the island city. They did that. They set up the towers thereof. They, they raised up the palaces thereof, and he brought it to ruin. How ye ships of Tarsus, for your strength is laid waste. Now, then let me just sum up that section. That's the explanation of what God was going to do. Who planned this against Tyre? The Lord Almighty. We've already uh, mentioned that in verse 8 and 9. And just as he purposed to destroy Egypt, and that was purposed in, in the 19th chapter, verse 23, and Babylon in 14, verse 27, we find that he made a purpose to destroy Egypt, and you find that in the 19th chapter and the 23rd verse. He purposed to destroy Babylon in a future time, and, and you find that reference in 14, verse 27. So he purposed to judge Tyre. And just as Assyria had destroyed the city of Babylon in 689 B.C., so Tyre and Sidon would be destroyed by a revived Babylon in 585 and 572 B.C. And the pride of Tyre was a sin that God could not ignore, which we've already mentioned. We find that the next verses, from verses 15 through 18, are anticipation. The anticipation, even before their eventual destruction, Tyre and Sidon would not be involved in business for 70 years. 
Let's read this section. Verse 15. And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten seventy years according to the days of the king. After the end of seventy years shall Tyre sing as an harlot. In other words, have to try to revive themselves and get recognition. So even before their eventual destruction, Tyre and Sidon would not be involved in business for seventy years. And history tells us that the Assyrians restricted the Phoenician trade, that of Tyre, from 700 B.C. to seven to 630 B.C., which was a period of 70 years, that their, that their uh, trade was restricted, and of course by the Assyrians. But when the Assyrians began to weaken in power, Tyre and Sidon revived their businesses, and the prophet compared this revived city to an old prostitute who had to sing lovely songs in order to get attention. That's what this verse says. Notice again, let's read it. It says, After the end of 70 years shall Tyre sing as an harlot to try to get attention again. And apparently the shipping business would not be as easy or as lucrative as it once was. Verse 18 tells us about the business on down. We'll read that in a moment. And Isaiah looked ahead to the Messianic kingdom when the wealth of Tyre would not be hoarded. In Zechariah 9 verse 3, but given to the Lord as a holy offering. So there's a future reference to what we're studying here in prophecy. And if you want to have that reference, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 3, you can write that down. But let's go on and read verse uh, 16 on down through 18. It says, Take an harp and go about the city, thou harlot, that hast been forgotten. In other words, you have to revive yourself. You have to get attention again. Sing your lovely songs of the old prostitute or harlot that you've been as a people. Make sweet melodies. Sing many songs that thou mayest be remembered. In other words, you have to call attention to yourself and try to get a following. And it says, And it shall come to pass after the end of seventy years that the Lord will visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her hire, and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. But her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to the Lord, and shall be uh, shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before the Lord to eat sufficiently, and for her and for durable clothing. And seventy years from the conquest to the fall of Babylon, and this was by Nebuchadnezzar, Tyre was weak and poor. So she came to a very weak situation. Now then, we've studied eleven chapters of God bringing judgment upon these various nations. And I want to give you some main uh, things that have been taught to us by, if you remember, this was the judgment upon Tyre. The next was the the last one was a burden of the valley of vision, the burden of the desert of the sea. The king of Assyria was mentioned. The burden of Egypt was chapter 19. Ethiopia chapter 18 and all on back there. Damascus in chapter 17. The burden of Moab in chapter 15. And you go on back and to, to at least that point And you find that God's judgment was poured out upon these various nations. And all that he prophesied concerning the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. And as we've studied these 11 chapters, I'd like to give you something to kind of sum it all up and, and lay hold upon. And it has taught us some important lessons. And first, there's about four things that I want you to see. 
First of all, God is in control of the nations of the world and he can do with them what he pleases. He can control, and he did control, and he could judge or he could relieve of judgment or whatever he pleased. Remember, concerning one of the nations that he judged, he says, God is smitten. He's, he's smitten you, he's judged you, and he's the one that will heal you. Hosea deals with that. God is smitten, and he will heal. So the nation he smites, he turns around and heals because they learn their lesson by the smiting or by the chastening or by the judgment. So God is in control, and he can do with them what he pleases. And by the way, he can do with all the nations of the world today what he pleases, and he can do with this nation what he pleases. And there are so many nations that we say, well, they're out of our reach and out of our category as far as might or power are concerned. God can use little things to disturb big things. It doesn't, it doesn't take a mighty army to cause us to begin to think of what God has power to do. You see, he can come internally into our nation. Remember the scripture speaks of in, in some places how that men can, will have to go from one city to another to get water. And food in the same way. Remember what happened to Israel when, when Joseph went down into Egypt, was sold into slavery. And when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent his boys down there. He says, fellas, you've got to go down there and get us something to eat because there was a famine in the land. So God has a way of doing things and he is still in control. And one has said, though the mills of God grind slowly, Yet they grind exceedingly fine and so and small, so we know that they do that. The second lesson, not only is God in control of the nations and he can do with them what he pleases, but God especially hates the sin of pride, and we've already talked a great deal about that. And when nations turn from the living God to trust their wealth and their armaments, God must show them that he is the only sure refuge. So never think that we're too high. A lot of individuals fall into that category. They say, well, you know, I've got much goods like the rich farmer laid up for many years. And I'm going to tear down my barns and I will build greater barns and I will bestow my goods. It's all I, 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 isn't it? You know, the, the greatest sin of that rich farmer was the sin of I. That's the greatest sin. You see, there was nothing wrong with tearing down his barns. There was nothing wrong with building greater barns. There was nothing wrong with his prosperity. There was nothing wrong with the bountiful harvest. So that he says, I just don't have room to put this wheat in this. And I know it needs to be saved. I can't just throw it out in the field. There was nothing wrong with any of that except he left God completely out of his plans. And when a man leaves God out of his plans, that is the bottom line. God says that's, that's not going to happen. Men, men may th- th- try to do that, but they're not going to do that. And so... When nations turn from their only sure refuge, that is the Lord, and they they trust in their wealth and they trust in their armaments, God has a way of leveling the field of play, doesn't he? The third thing, that God judges the nations for the way they treat each other. The way they treat each other. Just as he judges individuals for the way we treat each other. We cannot treat each other with wrongdoing. You take the thief or the, the, the robber, the murderer, the... The child molester, the one that comes in and uh, the manslayer or the kidnapper, uh, they all are not treating their neighbor and their, their brethren the right way. And God has a way of judging them. And God judges nations as well as individuals. But God uh, will judge nations for the way they treat each other. Judah was the only nation mentioned that, God, that had God's law. Yet God 
held the other ten Gentile nations accountable for what they did. The Bible says, For as many as sin without the law shall also perish without the law, or by the law. In the book of Romans. You see, the Gentiles which have not the law, they do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are law unto themselves. And God is going to judge on the basis of the fact that we do know better as Gentile nations and as Gentile people we know better. You see, the Jews received the law, right? And they knew what the law was. And it was very personal to them. And yet, the Gentiles did not have that Jewish law. And yet, God still holds us accountable because he, we have the law written on our hearts. And the Bible teaches that we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And so, that's something we have to deal with. And finally, God always gives a word of promise and hope to his people. Babylon will fall, but God will take care of Judah. Moab would not accept sanctuary from Jerusalem, but God would one day establish Messiah's throne there. Assyria and Egypt may be avowed enemies of the Jews, but one day the three nations will glorify God together. We read that, remember, in the 19th chapter, where you come down to the end of the 19th chapter, it says, In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt, and with Assyria. I mean, here's heathen nations, ungodly nations, and Egypt is always a picture of the world and a picture of that which is against God. But it says, In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Isn't that amazing? And Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, mine inheritance. And God's one day going to say, Egypt... And Israel and Syria, he's going to say all of them will be a blessing. Not only will he bless them, but they will be a blessing to each other. Now, let me hurry and give you this. Therefore, no matter how frightening the national or international situation may become, you and I say, boy, it's frightening in the world today. God's children can have peace because they know that Almighty God is on his throne. And the nations may rage and plot against God, but the Bible says in Psalm 2, He that sitteth in the heavens shall lie. The Lord shall have them in derision. And when the Lord of heaven and earth is your Father, and you gladly wear Christ's yoke, He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You don't have anything to fear. You can be comforted thereby. And I believe that these lessons that we've given you. First, God is in control of the nations of the world. He can do with them what He pleases. God especially hates the sin of pride. God judges the nations for the way they treat each other. And God always gives a word of promise and hope to His people. We can rely upon these. And I think that's... If we wanted to sum up the whole section of these chapters and God bringing judgment and dealing with these nations, you could sum it up basically in those four thoughts. Thank you for your patience and kind attention. We'll take up the next section has to do with four chapters, and there are three main divisions. First, God judges his enemies, and then we have some other things. The next chapter coming up, and God encourages his people. And then the last one is another thought. So thank you for your patience and your kind attention, and we'll get our next lesson uh, this Wednesday night. And be sure and be here because now we're getting out of all this hard to, more hard to understand section and getting into how, more how that God is a refuge for his people and more simplified concept.